Welcome to Willow Park Church. My name is Pastor Phil and I'm absolutely delighted that you have joined us this morning for worship as we step into the presence of the Lord. I'm so blessed by the opportunity to share God's word and as we continue to unpack the book of Daniel and the important lessons that are in the book and how it speaks to us of today about our personal resilience to keep going, to keep believing, to really be faithful to the call of God in this generation. What a week we've had at Willow Park Church. I am thrilled, thrilled to bits to see the way that our youth department has worked so hard. The Cahoots Lounge. If you know the church well, you know that we have an upper room. And in that upper room, there's a big space. And they have transformed that in a wonderful way. A place where young people can come. They can sit in the lounge area, enjoy uh, slurpees, enjoy connection, all in a safe way. Sit on the sofas. It has a feel of a... Uh, I guess in some respects, a kind of old English manor house or a, I would say an old English pub, but it's full of kids playing games and talking and sat there with their uh, youth leaders. And as I stood there, it brought practically tears to my eyes because uh, to see young people sharing faith, having prayer times, playing a bit of barchi, playing darts. It was so inspiring. And the, the beautiful way that they've decorated the time with the lights of the hanging and the atmosphere, and I guess the word would be ambiance that they've created, has, um, is quite remarkable. And it's something for us as a church to be really blessed by really proud by the way that they did that. I went and sat with Michelle as people were being logged in. They, of course, teenagers have to give their names and addresses and their details so we know who's there, who's there when and how, so that we're able to contact them if there's ever an outbreak or anything like that. And so it was really good just to see them coming in and connecting and talking and greeting each other. And they were reminiscing about, you know, time before pandemic when, uh, when they did things at youth and they were able to do bigger youth program organized events. It had a, it had a real sweet sense of fellowship, of God's presence there at work and, and it really was amazing. So can I encourage you to keep praying for our staff and the wonderful jobs that they are doing and the way that they are really um, encouraging connection despite the challenging times we're facing with this COVID-19 pandemic. But within that, we see God at work. Uh, it really is amazing. Can I remind you, of course, that we have our spring break children's camp coming up. You'll hear more about that. And we are going to start to pray noon uh, each day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday through to Friday at noon and do a noonday prayer time for half an hour online, which you will be able to connect into and enjoy. 
as we make our way towards Easter. We felt it was important that after the success of our 21 days of prayer, that we maintain that deep connection with you as a church family through just, if you're able to log on at noon and then um, pray with us for half an hour and spend that time with noonday prayer. Well, I'm going to pray right now for you and for your family. I'm going to pray that God really blesses you as you engage in this service. And Jordan's going to come and he's going to lead us in a time of worship. Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather together online like this. What an amazing gift this is. And Father, I pray that we will thoroughly, thoroughly connect with your presence and your word through this act of worship. Speak to us, Lord, I pray, and minister to us, I ask. We humble ourselves before you and pray, Lord, that you will minister deeply to us. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, the Lord bless you and thank you, Jordan, for leading us in worship now. Good morning, everyone. We are glad that you can join us. And, and this, this morning as we worship, I want to encourage as you are milling about the house or sitting and watching on TV on your phone. Um, if you haven't yet, be brave to sing a little bit just to... Uh, join along and proclaim God's goodness through your singing. And I know it's like the first time when I was a kid and I finally raised my hands for the first time. It feels like so different and awkward. But as we, even in we're different parts as we worship together, a little bit of beautiful community takes place. Let's sing this song enough. Knowing God is, is more than enough for us.
Here. 
worship you. I worship you. You are here, healing every heart. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, turning lives around. I worship you.
is who you are. You're the way maker. You're the miracle worker. Father, we just ask right now that you work your miracles in our lives. Even you present with us in our loneliness, in our in our singularity is a miracle in itself. God, you are the miracle worker. I just pray that you work your love into us. Help us to know the heart of Jesus. Help us to know the beauty of who you are, Christ. As we come to you, understanding that you don't break promises, you walk with us. Father, we thank you so much for that. God, thank you that we can be with you and worship you. Thank you, Jordan. What a lovely way for us to finish and to enter a time of communion. Communion is that moment where we, as Christians, celebrate. And really, it is a beautiful remembrance of all that our Saviour did and the way that the Lord Jesus Christ ministered to people. But beyond that, just ministering to people... He purchased the way of salvation for us. I do see communion as a very profound and holy moment. And maybe you've got needs and maybe you've got anxieties and worries. Things that you are thinking about in your life that are a burden to you. Maybe you need the Lord to come and shape your character, change your habit make a difference in your life. Well, I've got good news for you. Although these elements may look quite simple, they are so profound. They are so remarkable in what they communicate. How they communicate such life and such goodness of God. We look at the bread and it reminds us of his body. A body that was broken for us. I often remember my time when I was in Jerusalem. And I love to go there in my mind and uh, think of the spot, Golgotha. There's a couple of places that have been identified as those spots, of course. Uh, there's a church on one spot. And I went into that church where there is a, a large rock. It's in the city. And there, watch pilgrims go and kneel before that rock and go and touch that spot that is historically seen as the place where Christ died on the cross. Whether that is the place or not, I found it very moving. Because... It focused my mind as I looked at that piece of rock behind a glass, surrounded by incense burning and brass crosses and images of orthodox saints. And for some evangelicals and, and for Protestants, it kind of, we feel, it, we feel uncomfortable in that environment. But I looked beyond the brass crosses and I looked beyond the, um, the images of the saints. And I just looked at the rock. And I reminded that, that on a rock, the cross was lifted up. 
And Jesus' body was, was broken and laid bare to save humanity from all the pain. I sat there for several hours in that spot, watching pilgrims come and go from all over the world. Until I myself was thrown out at the end of the evening as they were closing the church. Kind of liked being thrown out of, of a holy church because I've been sat there for too long. But really the work of the cross, I realised, was not just about that space. The work of the cross was what was achieved in my own heart. That I was condemned, that I was lost, that I was broken. And my gaze into Christ in my life has brought healing through the work of the cross. Well, it's saved me. He paid the price for my sin. He took the punishment for sin. So I want and encourage you to, in your way, stare at the cross and what Christ did as you prepare to take the bread. Lord Jesus, we give ourselves to you again. I look at this wafer and I determine in my life to live the rest of my years for Jesus. I determine that I will follow you, Jesus, until the day I die. You gave everything to save my soul and to give me life. And I determine to give you everything of my life. I thank you for the hands that were pierced, the feet, the side, the crown of thorns on the head. I thank you that for every, every moment on that cross as you moved and gasped for air, you did it out of love for me. Thank you for this bread. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The body of Christ, broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of him. The sacrifice of animals always took place in the temple. Before that, in the tabernacle. It was a big part of the worship and in the Torah, in the five first books of the Bible, what we call the Pentateuch, the law of the Lord. It describes in detail the sacrifices that were made for the atonement of the sins of the nation, but also for the purification of the location where God would dwell. 
And when Christ died upon the cross, he became the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. An eternal Lamb. That where, as Hebrews says, the blood of bulls and animals could not, could not achieve that goal. The death of Christ achieved that goal that humanity could be beautifully and powerfully reunited with God in salvation. And so, Lord, I thank you for the blood of Jesus that takes away the sins of the world. That I am now clean, spotless, forgiven. Because of the blood of Christ. Thank you, Lord. The blood of Jesus that takes away the sins of the world. May you and your family be blessed. And know the peace of God upon you. Amen. Well. It's so good to celebrate communion together. And that has been one of the great blessings of this uh, pandemic is that we have focused a lot more on prayer, on communion and connecting with uh, the Lord in that way. It's really wonderful. So right now we're over to the Willow One News where you can know what's going on in our church, participate in the way that you can. And we look forward to hearing from you and what God is doing in your life. Hello, Willow Park Church. My name is Courtney. Thank you for joining us at Church Online. Here is your family news. We are starting a new daily prayer time this week, happening Monday through Friday at 12 o'clock noon. Join our pastors and other leaders online for a half hour of meeting with God and praying for one another. To find out how to connect, visit our website at willowparkchurch.com prayer. Our monthly all-church prayer gathering will be happening on March 1st at 7 p.m. If you are a part of Willow Park Church, please join us online for a special night of prayer. Learn more at willowparkchurch.com slash willow1prayer. We are currently looking for two more elders to join the Willow Park Church Board. We are now accepting nominations and would like to invite you to prayerfully consider who you think would be a good fit to join the leadership of our church. To learn more and to nominate someone to be considered for eldership, visit willowparkchurch.com elder. Kids Camp is happening the first week of spring break, March 15th to 19th, for kids age 4 to grade 5. Space is limited, so register today at willowparkchurch.com slash kidscamp. We are also looking for a bunch of volunteers to be small group and station leaders. If you'd like to volunteer, please sign up online as well. Our midweek youth program started last week for grades 6 to 12. If you haven't had a chance to check it out, tell your friends and sign up today. Please note that the times for youth have changed and are split into two grade groups each night. Learn more and sign up at willowparkchurch.com slash cahoots dash lounge. That's all for your family news. Thanks and enjoy your service.
Well, good morning, Willow Park Church. It is a pleasure once again to be able to share the word with you this morning. My name is Glenn. If this is the first time that you have joined us online, uh, whether you are watching live or whether you are joining us later on in the week or at some point in the future, we're just so happy that you are giving some time aside to listen to the Word of God, to spend some time with us worshipping. I hope you just enjoy Jordan and the team uh, leading us in worship and hearing some of the things that have been going on in the church. It is a busy place. Even though we're in the middle of COVID right now, uh, I'm just so proud of the team of the way that they're just looking creatively constantly for ways that we can continue to minister and share the good news. Uh, But this morning, I'm excited to share the word from you from Daniel chapter 5. So get to Daniel chapter 5. We're going to jump into there really quickly. We've been working through this series in Daniel for the last few weeks. Luke shared with us last week about pride and how do we work through that and how God addresses that and uh, grateful for him, to do, uh, for Luke for doing that. That's brilliant. And uh, this week, we're looking at a really intriguing passage. It's one of those passages where you kind of go, really, that that's just odd. That's just a crazy, crazy thing. And that's what I love about the Bible. I love how when you work through a passage of Scripture, when you look at the Bible in its entirety and you work through it like we're committed to do as a church, you come across some passages that maybe you might not choose to preach on or look at ordinarily, but because it's part of our series, we're going to jump into this fascinating passage as we're looking at the question of how do we as Christians thrive and succeed and make an impact in a world, in a culture that is post-Christian. Remember, post-Christian doesn't mean that Christianity is no longer important. It just means that culture has accelerated away from many of the ideals and values and things that as Christians we hold dear. And so people treat Christianity often in our culture with some suspicion uh, at best. And sometimes they see Christianity as dangerous at worst because it's, it's contrary to the values and the system of the world that we live in. And so Daniel lives in Babylon, and Babylon really, as we've looked at several times over the last few weeks, is a real picture and, and just resonates with where we are at in the Western world. So I encourage you to listen back to some of those previous messages. If you want to catch up, uh, I'd encourage you to do that because there is lots and lots to learn and be encouraged by as well. So let's jump into uh, Daniel chapter 5, and we're just going to work through this passage. We're going to stop and talk and stop and talk and apply. And, uh, and, and it's just I love preaching this way because it really just allows the Bible to speak to us in ways that ordinarily we might just skip over. So let's look at Daniel chapter 5. We're going to start right there at verse 1. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines, uh, drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So 
Here's what's happening right here. You've got Belshazzar, who's this new upcoming king. It's about 20 years after Nebuchadnezzar had passed away. If you look at the history of what was going on in Babylon right now, Belshazzar didn't immediately follow uh, Nebuchadnezzar. It's actually one or two kings after him, but it's a very short period of time. And Belshazzar is this young, upcoming, uh, lots of ambition, lots of pride. Just, just think of that kind of mid-twenties. 20-year-old who's just got a passion for life, but really wants to make sure that his ambition is flaunted, and he's partying hard. And what's interesting about this party is that when you think of Babylon, you think of wild parties, and you think of uh, kind of this immoral scene, but what Belshazzar's doing here is he's taking it up a, a notch. He's, he's actually created a party that historically we know is very unusual. For example, the king at that time did not drink in front of the people because it was seen as shameful to see a king slowly getting drunk. Belshazzar doesn't care. He wants to make sure that everybody sees him, that everybody is, uh, is acknowledging him, that he is significant in front of his people. Uh, he's bringing concubines and wives in front of the nobles. Again, that is unusual. They wouldn't tend to mix those different groups of people in a party. They would be separated. And then most interestingly, and this passage shows it, is that they, they took the elements that were out of the temple of God and started drinking wine out of them. Now, we, don't, we might read that and just think, well, that's no big deal. I'm actually reading at the moment in my, just my day-to-day Bible reading. Uh, I'm just in Leviticus and, and just reading about the, the detail that God put into the temple, uh, the tent, at the time when they were wandering around the desert, the people of God. He was so specific about how each of these vessels and how the temple should be set up, but not just that, about how important and how holy they were. And that if you did things badly in the presence of God, or if you didn't treat things well, then you would die. And you only need to look at stories like Uzzah in the Old Testament, who reached out and touched the ark at an inappropriate time and in an inappropriate way, and he was struck down immediately. So you've got the Babylonians who came plundered and sacked the, uh, the, the Israel in Jerusalem, the Israelites in Jerusalem, and took the, the vessels from the temple away. That was an incredibly horrific thing for the Israelites to experience at that time. But then Belshazzar takes it a step further. What he's doing now is he's drinking and toasting his gods using the vessels that are dedicated and reverent and holy towards our God. He's basically declaring, we are greater than you. We are more powerful than you. He didn't just want to, he wasn't satisfied with what was past history. He wanted to push it into people's faces, how powerful and significant and influential and rich and wealthy and ambitious he is. It sounds so familiar with what we have often in our day to day. Especially so when you look at the wider context of when this was happening. So at this time, and you can read about this at the back end of chapter 1, the, the, uh, the new Persian Empire and Cyrus had just defeated the Babylonian army. You can read about it in chapter 1. It was a very short period of time when, uh, when Daniel was in Babylon. And so they knew that the Persians were on the way. They knew that they could not stand up to the Persians. In fact, we know they couldn't 
because we read about how Babylonian people, Babylon was actually overtaken by the Persians. So here's, here's, what, here's what's happening. You've literally got an army, the Persian army, sat at the gates, figuratively or literally, of Babylon, ready to storm. The Babylonians know this. And you've got this king making a decision to throw a party. Babylon is defenseless. People are scared. There's panic ensuing throughout the whole city. Would Babylon be taken? What does the king do? He throws a party. He throws a party. He literally fulfilled the statement that you hear uh, on the day-to-day today. Is to, he ate, he drank, for be merry, for tomorrow we die. Let's eat, let's drink, let's be merry, for tomorrow we die. In other words, he created, and please listen to this, because this is where it starts resonating and applying to our lives. He created for himself a different reality. He created himself a different reality. So he partied. He partied in the midst of what was actually a dangerous and difficult and problematic time. It was a facade. He partied. He created himself a different reality. And friends, as I was thinking about this, uh, even this morning as I was praying through this sermon, I thought, this is our culture. This is 2021 in Kelowna, in the Western world. We create for ourselves a different reality in the midst of trouble and strife. I, I, uh, I've been using Zoom a lot over the last year. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with Zoom. Um, it's not one of those things. It seems that every time I go on, there's some kind of problem. Uh, I started a meeting the other day, and it told me that uh, the host has yet to start a meeting. I'm the host. What? <laughs> I was just like, what's going on? And, uh, and I figure it out, and thankfully, uh, Louisa, who works with me at the church, she was able to figure things out. Like, Zoom is just, oh, I'm so grateful for it at the same time I loathe it. It's this weird relationship. But one of the things that's interesting on Zoom, and let's just be really honest, if you use Zoom a lot, you'll have found this function. You can look under the camera. Some of you will just be scrambling right now to find this out because you maybe just didn't realize this was the case. And you can put a filter on yourself to, to, to get rid of some of the blemishes. Like, seriously, anybody who knows me well knows I just do not care. Like, whatever. Like, I don't care whether I look rough because, because I look rough. That's, that's fine. But you can filter your, your face. You can actually go further than that. You can actually filter your whole face. And, and I just, I laughed so hard this week because I'm sure you heard about the, uh, the news story of, uh, well, let me just put this up on the screen. You'll know what I'm talking about. Um, if you didn't see this, just Google, I am a cat. I'm not a cat. Uh, and, and this will pop up and watch the video. It's absolutely brilliant because here you've got this guy here who is a judge and you've got a lawyer. And this, this, this guy here is also a lawyer. What happened in the week apparently is his daughter had put this filter on uh, that makes you a kitten. And so this, is a, this kitten's eyes are moving, its mouth is moving, and it's matching this lawyer talking and and they were obviously like 
pretty serious. It says actually there's talking about fines and this is a serious situation. But this lawyer appears as a cat. But it's not, it gets better. You watch the video. The lawyer is panicking, understandably. He can't figure out how to take this filter off. He's got his assistant coming in to try and figure it out. And then the statement of all statements. This is a, this is a, a highly qualified lawyer, I'm sure. He says, uh, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, uh, Judge, uh, I'm not a cat. Really? Like... Thanks for letting us know because I'm sure the judge and this other lawyer was quite convinced that suddenly COVID had started creating talking kittens. I'm not a cat. This man was living in a completely different reality. When we put filters on our face, we're projecting a different reality. And the the reality is this for each one of us, though. On a day-to-day basis, we are in danger of creating a different reality from us. From, from what is actually going on. That's what Belshazzar was doing. He was trying to create a different reality, trying and ignoring what was going on. So here's the question I want to ask right at the beginning. How's your reality? How is your reality? What is actually going on? Not, not the party, not the filter, not what is being projected. I'm not a cat. Not, not that, but what is actually going on? When you go quiet and you switch everything off and it's just you and your thoughts and the depth of your soul, what is actually going on? What is going on behind the doors of your family life that we are projecting, we're partying over, but the reality is still there? How is your marriage? How is your, uh, your relationships? How's your health? How's your devotional life? How is your relationships? What is your private world like? What is your habitual sin like? What's really going on? Because friends, what the Bible does when you read it is it reads you. And so I listen to this story. I read this story. And then the reality is I know that I have lived with a party going on, a filter going on. But the reality is far, far removed. We've been doing a marriage course that um, is kind of covered by Alpha. Uh, and I think this week we're up to our fifth week. And it's been a brilliant time. We've had an uh, amazing a number of people taking this course at Willow Park Church. And, and it truly is it's great. And uh, without going into great detail about what the course is about, we're going to be running another one, uh, I believe, in, at the end of April. Um, so keep a listen out for that. But what this course does is it causes you to sit and to listen and to talk to your partner in, in, in ways that maybe you ordinarily wouldn't. Last week, there was this beautiful testimony of this young couple, lovely couple. Uh, you know, they, on appearances only, you go, wow, they, they have everything. Just a lovely looking couple, very eloquent. And, and, she, and, and clearly they were having problems in their marriage. And so they're talking about when this was happening and there was a separation in their past. And then she starts tearing up because she starts talking about how God had created healing in their marriage, that God had moved into her life, and that, and that they started to be able to communicate again. And then over time, they were able to get back together. And now they were testifying that their marriage, although it still has struggles, that they are they're much closer and they're working through things. And she said, I'm so grateful. And, 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 you know, and obviously he had his issues as well, I'm sure. But to hear this young lady talk about how God had broken into her life and said, you know, look past the party and said, what's really, really going on? 
Because for Belshazzar, the enemy literally was at the gate. He was literally at the gate. And he's partying. Friends, I encourage you to spend time focusing on the reality of what is going on, to reach out for help if you need it, to seek out God if you need it, to actually make those steps towards reality rather than working so hard on on the facade and on the partying. Let's focus on the reality. For Belshazzar, God does something quite incredible. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave away and his knees knocked together. This is the part of the story that is fascinating to me. And it's for this reason. First of all, I want you to notice this really carefully. Immediately the fingers of a human hand, not a whole hand, the fingers of a human hand. How, like, I have this, like, God is incredibly creative. You read the Bible and you'll see times where something could have been done in a very functional way, but God decides to do it very creatively. You know, the Israelites need water, you're going to get it from a rock. This man needs healing from being blind, Jesus puts mud on his eyes. You know, money from a fish. There's, there's all these creative ways that God goes about it. I mean, Again, this isn't Bible, so forgive me. I just have this in my mind that God is in heaven and he calls over Michael. He says, okay, Michael, I need to send Nebuchadnezzar a message and I want to do it creatively. You got any ideas? Well, God, you know, you've used hands in the past and like, God's like, yeah, yeah. I wonder what it'd be like if I just used fingers. Just like fingers crawling out this message. I read that and it just blew my mind. It was obviously a horrible scene to watch because look at Belshazzar's reaction. He, it says the king's color changed. Yeah, really? There's no surprise there. His thoughts alarmed him. Again, no. No surprise there. His limbs gave away. I like the way that the King James puts this. The King James Version says the joints of his loins were loosed. Literally, in the Hebrew, it means that he got incontinent. For those of you who think incontinent is a group of countries, incontinent, he literally, his bowels give away. He pooped himself. That's what that scripture means. This is a horrible scene. This is the ultimate party crasher. God creatively crashing this party, this facade, in spectacular fashion. I love God's creativity. I love stories like this. But this is one of the most important teachings of the Bible. And it's this. God will crash your party. The scripture is full of evidence that God seeks us out. God searches for us. He pursues us. He will reach out to you. He will call on you. Scripture's like, I will stand at the door and knock. You see, we are not looking at a distant, uninterested God who just lets us get on with our lives. There is a consistent knock. And you might be listening to this this morning, and God has been pursuing you for years, and you've just been ignoring the call. Let me tell you, there'll come a point when God will crash your party. You might be listening to this as a Christian. Maybe you've been a Christian a long time and you've just gotten comfortable and distant and you're not interested and you're just even doubting and questioning. Let me tell you, God consistently pursues after you. 
This isn't, oh, well, this sounds really Calvinistic, and, and you know, it's, it's, if we have a choice in salvation, let me tell you what all theologians agree on is that it's God who starts that faith inside of you. It is God that pursues the Bible, is saturated with evidence that He loves you first before you love Him. You see, God is showing Himself to Belshazzar in a creative way. He beholds, I stand at the door and knocks. And can I tell you, and I've experienced it myself, and I talk with people many, many times as part of my role, that God will allow you to party in uh, your way to the place until Jesus is the only thing you have. See, God loves you so much that he will allow you to party above the reality of your life until your life gets so bad, until your relationships are so poor, that your emotions are so low, that he will crash and say, now, Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way forward for you. What are you going to do about that? What is your response to that? And over the years, I've known for myself that God is patient, he's merciful, He's kind, he's persistent, and he continues to knock. He is the ultimate party crasher. He'll continue to knock on the lives of you and I. And maybe your testimony, as you look back, you can tell before you became a Christian, there was just this constant pursuit. Constant pursuit. Everywhere you turn, there seemed to be a Christian or a Bible verse or something would happen that would remind you of a creator and God is pursuing you. Can I tell you, when you become a Christian, that pursuit does not end. That God continues to search for you, just like we read about the prodigal father, the prodigal son's father, as he's looking and he cares. He loves you. He's patient. He's merciful. He's the ultimate party crasher, but he will let the party get loud and out of hand. And, and, you know, you might be searching for significance in front of others. Whatever it might look like, God will crash that party. I know for, for myself, I can look back. Uh, maybe six years ago when I, when I burned out, I fatigued my adrenal gland. And I tried so hard for the months after that to try and find the blame. Well, it's this person's fault, or it's that situation's fault, or it's the church's fault, or it's the workplace's fault. Anything other than actually looking at the reality of what was going on in my own life. That yes, I was a pastor. Yes, I was preaching every week. Yes, I was leading in every way I could. I was trying my best to be a dad, but at the time, looking back, not a good one. I had it trying so hard to keep the party together, while underneath it all, I'm slowly, slowly slipping away. And it was only when I came to the point when I recognized the reality in my situation was that actually it's my heart, my soul, my thinking that needed to be corrected. That the blame game stopped, and I actually started seeking after God. Now, I'm not saying that all like depression or anxiety can be cured by seeking after God. I've been through it. I'm not that naive. But can I tell you, the combination of taking the rest that you need, the steps that you need, the health steps that you need, and seeking out God in the midst of it all, empowering all that, was incredibly life-changing for me. So where's the party in your life? And what is the reality? Because for Belshazzar, and I don't know what Belshazzar's history was before this, but for Belshazzar, the party was over. The king called loudly, 
to bring in the enchanters and the Chaldeans and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have chains of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, and they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. So here's what he's doing. He's now got a picture of the reality of what is going on. He realizes there's a higher power. He realizes he's not in control. He realizes that the party is a millimeter thin and a mile wide, that it's just a facade of what is actually going on in his life. And what does he do? He seeks out his world. He seeks out the religions of his world, the spirituality of his world, the wise people in his world, looking for an answer. And don't we do the same? We go to the people that we think have an answer. We go to the, the religions that we think have an answer, only to discover that they tell us to do more that we're not actually capable of doing anyway. Until, just like him, we realize that it's not working, that we can't save ourselves. We can't fix ourselves. That our own seeking into places that we believe is an answer actually turns out to be empty. And then enters the queen. The queen's likely not Belshazzar's wife, likely to be the queen mother. And she says this, Daniel has exceptional ability. Now, just so you know, Daniel is probably in his 80s now. He's lived a life where he's been dedicating himself to his God in the midst of a Babylonian culture that is against his God. The, 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 the roots of what he did as a teenager, young people, the roots and the habits that you do as a teenager actually have a trajectory and, a, and, and make you the person you'll end up being. For Daniel... He actually had habits and dedications and determination to become what he dreamed to be, which is a man of God. And so even now he has favor with the king and he's lived his life well. He has exceptional ability and is filled with divine knowledge and understanding. He can interpret dreams, explain riddles and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, Belshazzar, and he will tell you what the writing means. So they call in Daniel. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself. Keep your gifts, Belshazzar. Not interested. This is Daniel now not pulling punches. He's in front of the king. He's going to say it like it is, just like he did with Nebuchadnezzar. Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known him is the interpretation. O king, the most high, God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. It's really interesting that Daniel's first step is to remind Belshazzar about Nebuchadnezzar. He brings Belshazzar's thoughts to Nebuchadnezzar because Belshazzar, as we'll read in a minute, remembered uh, Nebuchadnezzar. See, Daniel's not buying into the party. He's not overwhelmed with, wow, this is amazing. He's like, right, this is the word of God. This is the reality for you. And I'm praying that we will have people in our culture where we will be willing to speak the reality of what God says. Not what they think, not their opinions, but what actually God says at the right time and the God-given time. And what is it that Daniel is saying about Nebuchadnezzar? He's saying that everything that Nebuchadnezzar had God gave it to him. God 
gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship, greatness, glory, and majesty. Belshazzar, everything you are trying to find, throwing parties, everything you're trying to find, being significant and being noticed, and look at how amazing you are. God gave those things to Nebuchadnezzar. He gave them. He was the reason. God was the reason he was king. God is the reason that he was the, uh, he was the top of the land. And Belshazzar, he's the reason that you are as well. It's a reality, it's a reminder for you and I that everything that we have been given, everything that you are, your position, your role, your children, your house, your, uh, your possessions, everything you have is a gift from God. And Daniel reminds Belshazzar of that, therefore implying that Belshazzar has forgotten that. The reason you have money and achievements and giftings, friends, it's because of God. In fact, your ability to find those. You might go, ah, no, actually, I worked really hard. Well, actually, your ability to work hard is given from God. He did all this, it says in Deuteronomy, so that you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember, the Lord your God, he is the one who gives you power to be successful. So you can't look at your own achievements and say, actually, I'm in good standing, because even those were a gift from God. Even to those who don't believe in God, it's a gift from God. It's called common grace. You see, Nebuchadnezzar came to a place where he understood that his life was rooted in God and God alone. God crashed his party through a dream and an interpretation, but he responded by humbling himself. See, God is the ultimate party crasher. Not so Belshazzar. And you, his son, Belshazzar, Daniel says, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. This is a powerful two verses. This alone would preach. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. You haven't humbled yourself, Belshazzar. Your father did. You haven't. You see, it implies that Belshazzar has had his chances. It implies that God has been knocking on the heart of Belshazzar for a long time. How do we know that? Because look, it says you knew all this. You knew the power of God. You knew what God was about. You knew that Nebuchadnezzar had come to a point, as we read in chapter 4, where he actually recognizes God as his king. You knew all this, Belshazzar, and yet you rejected it, and you have lifted. Look at those words. Christian friends, if there's ever a set of words that would cause us to pause and consider and reflect and pray and maybe repent. If there was ever a few words that would cause us to stand and pray on behalf of our city, on behalf of our children and family. You have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. You have lifted up yourself. Is that not where we live? A culture of lifting yourself up? Is that not the schools that our kids are going to? And yet, we sense you knew all this. We sense there's a better way. We sense, you see, as a preacher and as a teacher, I know that I'm aligning with what people are actually feeling deep inside. I don't have to convince you that there's a reality in a party on top of it. I don't have to convince you that there's a better way. I don't have to convince you that actually there's something more than the present reality that we live in. Because deep down inside, you know it. I don't have to convince you of that. What I'm trying hard to do is point you towards Jesus. Because the, that sense that you have inside of you is a gift from God to call you to himself. You see, you knew all this. 
I'm preaching something that we've all known for years, even before I've said it. You've heard the knocking. And the sobering question is this. And I say it lovingly, but with deep sincerity and and seriousness. Are you setting yourself up against God? What a chilling set of words. Setting yourself up against God. Lifting yourself up against God. That you're actually lifting yourself up as the one that should be worshipped, just like Belshazzar. That we're worshipping the created rather than the creator. And actually the result of that is where Belshazzar is right now. And you can read about it in, in Romans as to what this looks like even in our modern day. That for although they knew God, they did not honor him. Or give God, th- sorry, did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be, is this not our culture? Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, just like Belshazzar. Uh, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things, they, and, and later on in the passage says, and they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. You see, lifting ourselves up looks like this. Setting ourselves up against God. Worshipping things that God has given us rather than the God who gave it to us. Chasing after things that ultimately will bring, what's it say earlier on in the scripture? Darkness. Their hearts were darkened. Because it's not who we were created to be. It's not who we were created to, uh, to do. Our worshipping life, worshipping our achievements, seeking recognition, these are all actions of Belshazzar. And it brings darkness. And for Belshazzar, the time was up. This is what the inscription said. Daniel interpreted it. Verse 26. God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Belshazzar, the way, your way of doing life is going to come to an end. This party is going to be over. And then he says uh, in verse 27, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. This is a, this is a thing that we, we use as part of our language now, that our lives being weighed and you have been found wanting. That the veneer of your life, that there is no weight to your life. And whenever you look at the word weight, often it refers to glory, this mass, this significance. There is no significance to your life. You are trying to project that there is significance when actually you've been weighed, Belshazzar, and you've been found wanting. That there's no, there's like a deficit in your life. There's an emptiness in your life, and your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Daniel predicted it. You're divided. You're divided in your life. Your life lacks weight. For Belshazzar, it was too late. For Belshazzar, it was come to a point where God crashes that party and gives him warning about what's coming up. And I'm praising God at this point because for you and I, it is not too late. For you and I, because of Jesus, is an ongoing offer of the gift of life. You see, Jesus was the ultimate party crasher. He crashed into this world, figuratively speaking, and turned it upside down. His people who followed him, it says in Acts, literally turned the world upside down. Because Jesus 
preached a kingdom that is completely opposite to the kingdom of this world. You see, our world speaks about influence and power, and Jesus speaks about humility and serving. The world speaks about being selfish and chasing after the things that you want, where Jesus' kingdom speaks about being generous and merciful and kind. It's an upside-down kingdom, not my phrase, a phrase that's been around a long time. And Jesus came preaching that, and he crashes in to society and to culture and says, there is a better way. See, Belshazzar was proud. He was blasphemous. He set himself up against God. He partied in the midst of reality. But for you and I, there is hope. There is hope that Belshazzar did not have. And Jesus crashes into our lives with the offer of a new life, with the offer of a fresh start. You see, we might be looking at all sorts of different things in our lives to bring that fresh start that we all desperately need, but it's only found in Jesus. Because Jesus says, look, you don't need to do anything other than submit your life to me and believe in me and believe that I am Lord. I will do everything else. I will close that gap. Because friends, if we're really honest with ourselves, we have been weighed and we have been found wanting. We have been weighed and we have been found wanting. Our sin separates us from God. We have set ourselves up against him. We worship the created. We make much of ourselves. And left to ourselves, then actually our destiny is darkness and similar to Belshazzar. It didn't end well for Belshazzar as you can continue to read. Because of the separation, we have been weighed and we've been found wanting. But praise be to God that he gives us the call. He knocks on the door of our lives and he woos us and pursues us and chases after us. He is that father looking out to the prodigal that is you and I. And as we mount that verge of the hill and we start our journey back towards him, that he is the one that runs towards us and loves us with compassion and care and mercy. So friends, I encourage you this morning, whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or whether you are just exploring spirituality, let me tell you that there is a God. He is a creator. I am preaching that which you have been preaching and listening to you for yourselves for perhaps for years, that there is a better way and his name is Jesus. So maybe the day is that we actually open the door of our lives. Even if you've been a Christian for many, time, for many years, the, the comfort sets in, the laziness, the apathy sets in. I know that it does. I've experienced it. And the party looks good, but the reality is far from it. But the time comes when we perhaps bow our heads and we go for that walk or we just say, Lord, I hear your word. You didn't write it on the wall, but you wrote it on the wall of my heart. I recognize it. You see, with Jesus, Belshazzar, his judgment was written on the wall, literally. His judgment was written on the wall. You see, Jesus came and he took that judgment. That the writing on the wall of our lives is removed through Jesus. The fresh start can begin. The renewal can start. It says the old is gone, the new has come. Because when Jesus died on the cross, our sin and shame died with him. And along with it, he took the punishment that you and I truly deserve. The judgment, the writing on the wall that is ours to receive, Jesus took. And it died with him through repentance. 
And unlike the kings of this world and unlike the presidents of this world, Jesus willingly gave up his glory, emptied himself, died a horrible and savage death on the cross. And he rose again. He crashed life. He destroyed death. He brings victory. He brings calm in the middle of all those storms. So friends, as we come to an end here, my prayer in just a second for you is that we'd actually reflect Maybe today. Make a decision. Don't go, oh yeah, I'm going to do that. Maybe as soon as I finish preaching, you go and find yourself a quiet space in your house. Or you go for a walk. It's a gorgeous day. It's actually warming up. It was like one degree centigrade when I came down the hill with my boy this morning. One degree. Praise the Lord. Go and find yourself a space and pray. Say, Lord, I feel like the party's over. Reality of my life is not where I want it to be. And pray repentance. Confess before him. Ask him to fill you. Thank him for the death and the resurrection. Thank him for the gospel. And he will flood into your life. Whether you've been a Christian a long time or just somebody who's exploring it. He will give you the life that you are seeking. And then the eternal party. It actually says there are parties in heaven when somebody comes to know Jesus. The ultimate party. Wow, it's going to be amazing. It's thrown for you. Christian friend, bring yourself before the Lord. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot heal ourselves. We cannot renew ourselves. We need that party crasher. And his name is Jesus. Let's pray. God, I just love the way that your word speaks to us. And it's seasonal and it's timely. God, it's a strange time that we live in, and you know this better than anyone. And Lord, I pray that in the midst of these, what are blah months, obviously, uh, often in our, in our part of the world, that Lord, that God, you would speak to us, that Lord, we would recognize the writing on the wall, that we would seek out the reality of our souls, and Lord, we would turn. And we would confess and we would repent. And Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that even today that there will be prayers of repentance and confession being made. That, Father, that, that walking with you will be renewed. For those who don't know you, Lord, I pray that they would hear your voice so clearly that you would woo them and draw them to yourself just like your word says. And Lord, thank you that you are so kind and merciful that you continue to pursue us. So patient, Lord. Lord, I know that I would have given up on me years ago. But not you, Lord. Thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. We love you. Amen. If you want any prayer at all, or if you just want to ask more advice, or you want to ask um, for help in how to become a Christian or anything like that, then please connect with us. Uh, you can email us, or you can, if you're watching live, you can press the connect button uh, on online church, and somebody would be glad to get in contact with you. Um, we miss having you in the room. It's so odd speaking in an empty room, but we miss you, we love you, and we're looking forward to seeing you very, very soon. Continue to pray for us as we continue to pray for you, and, uh, and we will see you next week. God bless you, and have a fantastic week. 
parting for Jesus. Amen. Amen.